Hi. I'm Deepak and you're listening to The Meaning Quotient. A place where we celebrate the stories of human potential and finding meaning and purpose. This is a story of Patrick, a Silicon Valley veteran. An accomplished individual. When Patrick touched the depths of meaninglessness, he re-emerged with a treasure of value and purpose. Let's hear his story in conversation. Hi Patrick, thanks for joining the Meaning Question podcast. I'm so glad we are having this conversation. Let me start by asking, how were you shaped? Oh, how was I shaped? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I think I'm a, I'm a product of, uh, I'm a global citizen, I guess would be the way that I would describe it. You know, my, um, my father was an expat. He always worked for us, uh, multinationals. And so, you know, from the time I was six months old, we were basically moving all over the world. You know, we were, um, changing countries, changing cities, um, being exposed to new cultures, being exposed to new languages. Uh, you know, I was shaped in an environment where I was basically always on the move and I was always, um, being forced into new and different situations, be that countries and schools and cultures, people, languages. So, um, I didn't have a very stable childhood in the sense that, uh, most people, you know, they're born and they live in the same house for like whatever, 15, 16, 18 years until they go to college. And, you know, they, they, their, their, their childhood uh, is shaped by their um, close friendships and neighbors and schools uh, in a way that is fairly predictable and constant. And, and I had uh, the opposite. You know, I was moving countries every two years. Uh, I was changing schools all the time. I was changing uh, entire geographies. I mean, you know, we, we lived in Europe, we lived in Asia, we lived in South America, we lived in Central America, we lived in North America. Um, so I was always getting bounced around and moved around. And, um, um, and you know, on top of that, I was an only child. So uh, mm. I, you know, I had to fend for, you know, myself. I mean, my parents were there, but my father was always working and he was always traveling. So my mom was pretty much the one who took care of me. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was very lonely at times. Uh, but the flip side of course is, you know, what I learned was unbelievable. You know, what I was exposed to at a very young age and the ability to learn new languages and get exposure to different cultures, you know, living in Singapore or living in Brazil or living in Mexico or living in Belgium or France or the U S right. It's like you absorb all this, all these things. And as a young kid, you know, you're like a sponge, right? So you're, you're absorbing and absorbing and absorbing. And so your perspective on the world is uh, unique, right? It's different. You have a very broad perspective. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's how, that's a little bit how I was shaped if you, mm. if you will. And you know, what did it do to your desires? <laughs> what did it do to my desires? Oh man. Well, that depends on which desire you're talking about. <laughs> um, 
No means yeah, what it, yeah. I think uh, for me, part of it has been kind of this, this wonder of the world, this curiosity about people, this curiosity about why things are the way they, they are, which um, it's just really cool to be able to have that and to not lose that with age. You know, I look around and I see so many people, even some of my friends, mm-hmm. you know, who with age have just become just boring as hell. And I ask myself how they got there. And it's not to be critical because people are the way they are, right? Who am I to judge them? But, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that makes us different from children and the thing that saddens me sometimes when I look at humanity is that, you know, we, as we get older, we lose that childlike wonder, right? That childlike curiosity, you know, the reality and some of the cynicism of the world that we live in sets in. And it changes us and it makes us more serious and it hardens us and it takes away that wonder, that curiosity, that laughter, right? And I've, I've, I've experienced some of that. I mean, we all do. I guess I just make an effort not to let it get to me and I continue to be playful and silly. And, you know, of course, my kids help a lot with that, which is cool. Mm. Um, but I've always prided myself as being someone who is just incredibly resilient and adaptable and is willing to throw themselves into situations which a lot of people are not and i think uh that's part of what makes me me and that's part of what makes me you know uh true to my my own my own brand right you know the mad mork brand is you know it, it borders on crazy but there's some rationale to it because i know that even though people on the outside may think i'm somewhat crazy that in the reality because i've done this so many times and i've changed countries so many times the resilience is like flexing a muscle, right? The more you flex that muscle, the more you try things and you push yourself out of your comfort zone and you do things that people would think are crazy, the easier it becomes to do it again and again and again and again and again. And that's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm in the process of trying to find out, right? I don't know what the answer is, hmm. right? And, so we'll and, see. And you know, I loved it. Like growing up as a nomad, like you get so much of, things to see and which is still keeping you curious it could have gone in either direction mm-hmm. one one thing which came to me how did it shape or create your younger self like when you were 18 or 19 like what was going on in in, in your mind because you could have done so many things and you have so many opportunities you know i um I was very influenced and shaped by my father um, and continue to be, although less so, you know, as we get older, I think we step outside of the shadow of our, of our parents and we, we develop our own self identity. But I think on the one hand uh, it was like, sometimes there was this fear of never being good enough. There was this fear of never being successful enough. Um, there was this need to constantly change and that's the downside, right? The downside of moving so much and and becoming so adaptable is that it becomes such a part of your DNA that you almost feel like you have to make changes every two two to three years. And that's something that, you know, I've wrestled with my entire life. And, you know, I have a coach and I've been getting coached for, you know, well over a year now and I've switched coaches and, you know, one of the challenges there is that, you know, in my younger self, I think I I was very uh, insecure to some extent. 
I think if I had to characterize myself, I was, I think there was, um, there were definitely was some insecurity. There was very much this sense of being a loner. Hmm. And so that, that's, that's very tough because, you know, you have to, human beings are social animals, right? We, we, we have to force ourselves to be social. And the, and the problem is like, and particularly in my experience, having worked in tech for so long, is that as wonderful as the technology is, the fact that I can sit here and I can have this conversation with you and I can see you and you're in Switzerland and I'm in freaking Chile, right? We're, there, we're on the freaking polar opposite ass ends of the world here. It's very cool, but at the same time, I think our dependence on technology as humans is desensitizing us to what it is to build human relationships. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of those insecurities and at the same time I grew up with, you know, being, being very resilient. Um, but I also grew, grew up, you know, feeling being very isolated and lonely. And I think at some point making a subconscious decision, maybe not to invest deeply in, in relationships as, as much as I would have liked, um, through the, my early years. Right. And that, that's, that was challenging. Hmm. And you also sh- said that, and of course it's being shared by the moment of your father and, and he seems like, a you know, a person who, who, who has ach- achieved a lot. How else did he shape you? He, he shaped me in a number of ways. I mean, he was very, very career driven, very, very ambitious, you know, and, and so he was always looking for the next thing and gunning for the next promotion and thinking about the next job that he wanted. So he was incredibly driven and he had an insane work ethic. You know, this is a guy who was traveling all over the place. He was working really long hours. He's, you know, working in big companies, getting increasingly, increasing levels of responsibility, you know, eventually running multiple divisions in, in one of the world's largest retailers, you know, that, that was responsible for billions of dollars in revenue. So, you know, I kind of idolized him for a long time because of that. And, and he shaped a large part of my career, at least my career, you know, for the first probably, I would say he probably shaped, you know, like the, at least the, the good first 10 years of my career, probably a little bit more. Um, I think obviously the other way that he shaped me is he was very much, and he still is very much a loner. He's never had like a really strong need for friends. And so um, I kind of became the same, you know, we do, we emulate our parents a lot for better, for worse. And, and so there were things about him that I emulated that I think were good. You know, his work ethic, I work, I, I worked hard. I still work hard. I'm, he's driven. I'm very, very driven. We, we want to make an impact on the world. Um, we have big personalities, right? <laughs> no, no doubt about that. So we are very similar in many ways. Um, but then there were things that, you know, the, there were things that he imprinted on me, which I have made an effort to cast off uh, the last couple of years, particularly. You know, he, he does not really have a growth mindset, right? He is a person that, especially in his older years and, you know, now, and I don't say that being judgmental or critical because, again, people are the way they are, but, you know, he's very happy with the person that he's become. And, and there's, there's a number of things in his life and, and the way he, he lives his life that he will not change. And, and uh, yeah, I'm not judging. I, I think that's fine and I respect it. But I don't agree with it. You know, I am a person that believes that, you know, fundamentally human beings are not static. We make a decision. I can't be that way. Like, that, that is not the way that I want to be. 
and I believe that I can continue to grow and develop myself. And that's part of the reason that, you know, I, I went to CTI and, 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 you know, took the the coursing coaches, uh, the coursing, the coaching courses that where you and I met, right. It's like, I wanted, I was not willing to accept that I would be like that. And I was like, I want to develop those skills. I want to become a better human being. I want to develop those relationships. And more importantly, I want to help others like develop that side of themselves as well. So mm-hmm. there's definitely things that, you know, uh, we were very similar. And then there's things that I was like, I got to be different. I'm not willing to be this way. You became a very accomplished person yourself. And uh, do you want to, to talk something about your journey? My journey? Um, well, you know, look, I think, you know, the, I'm, I've kind of, one of the things I've learned over this process of change is that we have to make an effort to appreciate ourselves and more importantly, to appreciate the respect and the, and, and the thanks of others. So, you know, first, I want to thank you for acknowledging that. I have had a very hard time kind of accepting some of my quote-unquote successes because I think like many people in the Valley, I think many of us spend our careers and our lives kind of agonizing over our defeats and, and our learning experiences than valuing where we succeed. Let's talk about your success. <laughs> So yeah, look, I think, I think successes, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, I mean, I think one of the things where I've changed is that today, I think my biggest success probably is, I think I'm a pretty amazing father, to be honest. And, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. And it, it's not necessarily the, the, the first thing that I would have said even a year ago in, in, a, in a situation like this, talking to someone uh, or in an interview. Um, and I have made a point of like being there for my children and saying like, I'm going to be there. And like yesterday when I was with them, you know, stopping to work at three o'clock in the afternoon, because I'm going to take, I'm going to go pick them up at their mom's house. I'm going to take my daughter to hip hop lessons. And then we're going to go have grapes. And then we're going to go, you know, into the park, play foosball. And then we're going to go and, and, and jump in the pool right before having dinner. And it's kind of like, so that for me is my greatest accomplishment is, is being a father. Um, you know, other accomplishments, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I think I've had a pretty unique career. I, I've done some incredible things. You know, I'm not, a, not even close to being, you know, in the likes of, the, you know, Steve Jobs' or Zuckerberg's or whatever. But I don't aspire to that. I honestly don't give two shits about, like, you know, building a billion-dollar company. It's, that's never been the goal for me. But that said, you know, I, yeah, I've done some amazing things. You know, I, you know, rebranded and, and, and was part of the team that, that launched Google Play, which was cool, you know, and, and I was part of the team that helped build that into a billion, multi-billion dollar business, which is nice. That was a team effort. And I had an amazing, 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 talented group of people working with me and helping me. You know, it was really, it was, it was an, a, a very cool experience to come in and build a brand and launch all those products and service um, and compete against somebody like Apple, you know. Um, Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I mean, what, what made it so amazing? that experience? I think for me, the thing that made it the most amazing was a combination of things. You know, Google is an amazing place to begin with, right? It's mm-hmm. you're surrounded by the best people and the bright, brightest people on earth and, and, and you're surrounded by some of the best technology on earth, right? So for me, I think, you know, building a business at scale, you know, where you are building a retail store 
and distributing mobile content to hundreds of millions of consumers all over the planet. Um, and building that, you know, from a fairly low place. I mean, it was already, you know, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue at the time when, when I joined the team, but there was no marketing team. Hmm. There was no brand, you know, it, was, it wasn't even called Google Play, it was called Android Market, right? And it was, hmm. it was really, if you compared it to the App Store, it was, it was really a pretty shitty experience, to be honest. Um, and so being part of that was, uh, being part of that and seeing that grow month on month, year on year was, was really remarkable. But I think, you know, for me, I think probably the most amazing thing of that experience was not so much building the business. I think it's what I learned as a manager. I think it's what I learned as a person. I think it was being surrounded by just, a, just an amazing group of people, you know, who were not just very gifted intellectually and very hardworking and um, able to accomplish incredible things. I mean, I, just to give you a crazy example, you know, we, <laughs> we developed the Google Play launch TV commercial, I think in two and a half weeks, right? Wow. It was like, you talk to most people's in a marketing team, you know, in a big company. I mean, they'll take months to develop a 30 second or 60 second commercial. I, I think we did it in four weeks, right? And, and we, did, we worked with the, uh, the same guys, you know, from Industrial Light Magic who, who had worked on Star Wars, you know, who, who had done like the animation for R2-D2 and stuff like that. And so, you know, um, doing something like that in that span of time with that group of people, you know, you build a bond with people, right? You, you, are, you are working with people who are so amazing, you know, that uh, you can truly do great things together. And, you know, there's a lot of respect there's a lot of hard work, there's fun, there's learning, there's frustration at times, but you know, that was the best team I've ever worked with in terms of people, and not just in terms of their abilities, but also mostly in terms of the way they handle themselves, their composure, their humility. Uh, it was really a, a unique experience, right? And you know, the results speak for themselves. I mean, I was only there a couple of years, so I, you know, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm not gonna take more credit than, than what is due, but I think, the learning that I got from those people, working with those the, the, those people, what they did to me to push me to be a better manager, to be a, a better person, was uh, was pretty cool. It was it was uh, a very valuable experience. I wouldn't say, I would not say that launching Google Play was the highlight of my career. Although a lot of people would, because from the outside it's like, oh, it's Google Play, whatever. I actually would not say it was the highlight. So what what was the highlight of your career? Probably the highlight of my career. It was actually before Google Play. I was uh, I was in the startup, you know, that was backed by um, Excel Partners, and uh, it was a small company when I joined them. We were six people. It was a startup called Getjar, and and Getjar was was actually one of the world's first app stores. It was actually launched before the Apple App Store um, mm. back in two thousand five. And, you know, it was a company that, you know, the founder was originally from Lithuania. I mean, like nobody had ever heard of these guys. Um, they were like literally six guys coding in a basement and. Uh, they were one of the first app stores. They were helping, you know, early developers who were making games and applications for, you know, Nokia devices and uh, Symbian and Java and Jar phones, you know, uh, very early days. We were one of the first app stores out there and I was part of that team. We grew it to about 50 people, you know, we, we 10 X the revenues mm. and, and, you know, eventually we got to a point where people knew us, and we had a fair amount of traffic and we were in the news and the media all the time and we were able to do some absolutely remarkable things. So there's some stories within that story, which, is, which are just crazy. 
And that for me was the highlight of my career because of course, when you come from nothing and you're like such a small group of people trying to stand out in Silicon Valley, trying to build a business in Silicon Valley, you know, when you end up being, you know, in Time Magazine as one of the 10 companies that is going to change the lives of people. And when you mm. are, your CEO gets invited to Davos, you know, as, as, as somebody very successful, that is, that's, that's humbling, right? It's, it's incredibly cool. And sadly that, that startup actually went completely sideways mm. uh, and did not succeed, but being part of the early days of that and growing it into what it became, you know, at kind of the dawn of mobile and the dawn of mobile applications that, that was that was remar a remarkable experience. Um, it was really really cool. That's so beautiful, Patrick. And you're also the president of the INSEAD Association in San Francisco. Yeah, which I actually I've, I've had to resign from that role since I moved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not exactly in a position to be physically very effective there anymore. So yeah, I, you know, I took on that role last year, and you know, I, I, as a as a graduate from uh, from INSEAD, you know, I graduated in 2000. Um, I'm incredibly proud of what that school is doing. You know, they recently announced uh, an initiative uh, and a campaign called "Incent." You know, as a business as a force for good, and and I think that you know one of the reasons why I've, I've been so involved in the school is that I think that you know business should be a force for good. It, it should be a, a a force for positive social change. And we have a responsibility to society to do much more than we're doing rather than just create profits. And sadly, I've had to resign since I moved, but, uh, but I'm still very involved. And, you know, my, my father has also been very, very involved and was one of the founders of the, the Singapore campus. So for me, it's kind of like it runs in my DNA, but, but I, I deeply believe in the fact that business can be a force for positive change. And we have talked about your accomplishments and things were not also very good in some other dimensions and just at some of the levels. Do you want to talk something about that? Yeah, look, I mean, we all have, you know, what I call, my father would call them character building experiences. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would call them, um, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I think there's a phrase which I, which I use often, uh, you know, in my coaching and, and when I speak uh, publicly, it's, um, there's no such thing as failure. There's only learning. Uh, and you know, I, I've certainly had a lot of learning experiences, you know, when, when I look back on my life and, um, I've, I've had multiple setbacks and like, like, like most of us. And I've written a lot about those in my blog and talked about them in some of my podcasts, but you know, some notable ones I think that, that come to mind that really kind of make you rethink your life, you know, is, um, you know, my, my wife, uh, leaving me in 2015 was a huge setback uh, obviously it's um you know i was i i am very close to my kids and so all of a sudden to you know to go from living in a house all together with your family to moving in a small apartment living on your own and seeing your kids every couple of days that was a huge setback but um but i also learned a lot about myself i you know you spend so much time asking questions and trying to understand why things happen. And in my case, like I said before, trying to learn from it and also trying to correct those things and to become a better human being. Yeah, what was going on there? It's like, so I, I just wanted to get a snapshot of your life at that point and please feel free to share whatever you could. 
Yeah, I mean, this was actually, you know, my uh, my 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 marriage fell apart. Fell apart actually, uh, you know, I think about two years after I left Google. So, you know, I, when I when I left Google, that was a very controversial decision in my family because, you know, I was doing very well and there was no real reason to leave Google. I mean, the reason I left Google was, you know, and, that, and that's actually not something I've talked about very openly. But you know, the, the main reason I left Google was I just. I didn't see myself as a big company person and the bigger and more successful Google play became, the more it was mired in politics and bureaucracy. And, you know, I'm, I'm a doer. I, I'm, I'm one of these people. I like to go out and get shit done. I don't like to get trapped by politics and bureaucracy and, and have, and being told all the time what to do. Right. So, um, but it was a very controversial decision because I, I kind of took the decision unilaterally. I remember I came home one day and I just told my wife, I was like, look, I'm, I've resigned. I'm leaving. I don't want to stay mm. here anymore. And, you know, when you, when you don't, um, when you don't make certain life decisions as a team with your partner, that's a problem, right? It doesn't build trust and confidence. It drives a wedge between people. And I think that was not the precipitating factor why, why my wife and I split, but it was definitely a factor. Um, like I said, we split about two years after I left. And I think, you know, there were a number of reasons for that. I mean, one of the reasons was, you know, I had decided that I wanted to do a startup because in Silicon Valley, if you're, you know, if you work in tech and, you know, you are somebody with some reasonable degree of success, doing a startup is the thing that you're almost supposed to do, right? So it's like you follow the blueprint. But I was foolish, you know, I was arrogant and I was foolish. And I thought that, you know, my success in Google Play entitled me to do things. And and I wrote a business plan and, and, and cobbled a team together and went out and tried to raise money. and I, and I And the market was much too competitive and I was focused really on the wrong area. And I was so stressed out that I was working really hard. I was angry at home. I was not really present when I was there physically. I was not present mentally. Um, I was a bit of an asshole to be honest. And, and I think, you know, that's throwing my career to the wind and trying to become an entrepreneur and, being the way I was, it's, uh, it widened a rift that was already there. And, and then I developed other problems, which, you know, sometimes when you work in Silicon Valley, you, you, you know, you are under so much pressure that, um, you know, many people just resort to some sort of uh, habits to cope. Right. And for some people, it's drinking. For some people, it's gambling. For other people, it's other things. And, you know, I, I had my own issues. And all those things combined really made kind of living with me very challenging. And I think my ex-wife was wise enough to realize that the only way that I was going to be able to come out of this and fix myself and become the person that I needed to be was that I needed to be left alone for a while so that I could process all of this and change courses and change direction. And, and, you know, it was very hard to understand at the time when she, when she told me. What happened? What happened? Did she told you one fine day or it's, it's more a process of discussion because what happened? Like the feeling you got. I mean, it happened over time, you know, it didn't, it doesn't suddenly happen. And we, we, we'd had several conversations over a period of months where things clearly were not working very well. And she said that things are not working and maybe we should spend some time apart. And we talked about it and, you know, we sought counseling 
we'd been talking about it, but one day she was like, no, look, we really need to make this happen. And, and you know, you try and course correct it by then it's too late. And, um, and I think it was, it was on very, I think amicable terms as amicable as those kind of things can be, but we're still on very good terms and we're still friends. And, you know, obviously I, uh, it was a very difficult time, but what, what was but, difficult? You know, I think that? I came to the conclusion. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's always difficult because, you know, particularly for me being so close to my kids, you know, not being able to wake up with them every morning was incredibly painful, right? Not being able to be with them every weekend was incredibly painful. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of close friends that I was close to, so I didn't spend really my time any other way than either working or with my children or playing video games, right? So all of a sudden not having that, you know, losing that, you, you, you feel like you lose an arm or, or both arms, right? And so that was, that was incredibly difficult. You know, you just, you wake up and you find yourself in an apartment by yourself and your world kind of like collapses, right? And all you have is really your, your work, which, which was not enough to sustain me, you know? Um, so, you know, we made the decision that it was best ultimately for us to split because, you know, it hadn't affected the kids yet. And you don't want to ever let it affect your children. Right. Most couples, unfortunately, do a lot of couples let it affect their children. The kids are exposed to arguments and, you know, these kind of things. So we were able to kind of split on relatively good terms and we saw each other often. We continue to see each other all the time. And actually, she's been incredibly helpful in helping me get situated in Chile. Yeah, uh, because, you know, she's from here. Right. So, yeah, Patrick. Uh, so so uh, I, I just I just want to honor the moment where, you know, you were at such a difficult point of your life and something which is just resonating in in my head is like cutting off your arm or both arms you know which is such a powerful meta powerful metaphor you you have put at this point i just like to see the story which i have seen so far you grew up as a nomad and part of a family where your father was an expat and you traveled a lot you developed a lot of resilience to work through various difficult issues, to handle change, to move through life, good or bad. Your father was your hero or a person you look up to and you accomplished. You become, I don't know how much accomplished he is, but you yourself become very accomplished person. And then you had this episode in your life where you felt like your one arm or both arms are being cut and it's not your choice. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that is, again, like I said earlier, that's where the learning comes, hmm. right? Because I think, you know, you can, you can, you can confront a situation like that in one of several different ways. You can, you can blame the other person, you know, you can blame the situation, you can blame others, which is, you know, what some people do. Um, or you can say, okay, you know, what, 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 what could I have done differently? What should I do in the future differently? How do I, how do I change and evolve from this? Right. And so for me, you know, 2015 was the beginning of a long journey of changes. You know, I, I went through, more painful experiences the last, the next two years following that because you know once I lost my family I was I was crippled emotionally I was uh, my it, it shot my confidence 
professionally. So, you know, I went through several different startups that didn't quite work out the way I wanted to. I was working my butt off and I was um, so focused on trying to rebuild my career that I didn't realize that I had a lot of things I needed to fix inside myself. And because of that, I wasn't able to be that, I wasn't able to be as effective at work as I could. Right. And, and so, you know, I went through multiple startups that just didn't work out. And, um, you know, I wrote another post about this too. I mean, I, uh, you know, in, in early 2017, I was let go from a startup where I was chief marketing officer and my world just fucking collapsed. It just, I woke up one day and I've never been a person to, you know, you know me, I mean, I'm a glass half full, super optimistic, high energy guy. And one day I was riding my bike, I think the day after I'd been let go, and I had a near miss with a car. You know, I ride a lot, I'm a cyclist, so I bike like, you know, 10 or 20 miles a day. And I bike early in the morning when there's generally nobody driving. And this time, you know, there was somebody on the road that came out without looking and they almost hit me. And, um, and I just like had this thought in my mind that's like, man, if I'd gotten hit, like who the, who the fuck would give a shit? Who cares? Mm. Like, why, like, why just, like, why just deal with all this pain, you know? And so, like, I remember I'd never had a thought like that in my life. And I remember just, like, slamming on the brakes, getting off my bike, picking up my phone, and, like, calling my health insurance and saying, like, you got to get me a therapist. Like, I need to see a therapist. I need to see a therapist now. And I never had that in my life. I'd never had, like, a call like that where I was, like, so messed up on so many fronts, like, between, you know, the failed marriage and my career going, you know, going completely sideways and being lonely as fuck because I hadn't invested in friendships. I had invested in my relationships in years. Right. And, but you know, the good thing is kind of like it's baptism by fire. You look at that and I was like, that's where I decided to reach out and get a coach because I realized that I had no other choice. Like there was no way I was going to get out of this. My parents were doing whatever they can. The, the few friends I did have were helpful. But I had to find a new way to kind of like rebuild myself, which meant going much, much deeper. And it meant working with somebody who was not that close to me, who could afford to ask me the very tough questions that maybe I wasn't willing to ask myself. Right. And so the last three years have probably been the toughest of my life from the point of view of having to peel back layers of layers of layers of the onion, finding that, you know, every layer underneath the next one is as rotten as the one that you just peeled back. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt at times. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you finally peel enough layers, you get to, you know, the core of the onion where things are not rotten and there's a glimmer of hope and you realize that, you know, you can rebuild, that you have to take a different direction that you have to change a lot of things. And so for me, it's like the last three years have been all about change, changing countries, changing jobs, changing careers, dealing with, you know, my, my own addictions, my own issues. Um, and being in a place where like, because I've been through this now, not only am I so much more resilient than I've ever been, but I'm also in a position to help so many more people because I know the symptoms, I know the signs, and I know the route that you need to take to cure yourself of this stuff. And it's not, there's not a, there's no, there's no fucking pill for this, right? In the States, everybody believes that there's a goddamn pill to solve every problem. There is no pill. Like, forget Prozac, forget all that shit. None of that shit works, right? The only thing that works is you gotta, you gotta dig deep. You gotta believe in people. You have to be able to open yourself up. You gotta be able to work with people and you, and you need time. 
you right. know you, uh, and so that's that's the process I've been through right and I'm kind of like emerging out of that now and now like you know I'm, I'm incredibly bullish of what I'm doing in Chile and I'm you know I'm like advising companies I'm coaching a bunch of people I've been asked to like give motivational speeches and you know, in Estonia and I've been asked to fly to Dubai to give like another speech there. And it's like a whole mm. bunch of cool stuff. And it's exciting because like, oh. like, you know, when you share these stories, you realize that there's a ton of people out there who are, who are in pain and who can really relate to that. And you realize more importantly that you're able to connect with those people at a deep level and really help them. Right. So, so that for me is, has made it worth it and becoming a better human being, I guess has made it worth it. Wow. And you know, if you look back, you know, after after this baptism by fire and this new Patrick, what questions would you have asked to your older self? What question would I have asked my older self? I think kind of one of the things that people discount, if I can, simplify it down to two simple things. I think the mistake that I made that so many people make is that fundamentally you don't ask yourself why you do the things that you do. You don't ask yourself why you chose a certain job. You don't ask yourself why you're pursuing a career. You don't ask yourself why making so much money or getting that promotion is important. You don't ask yourself why building a company is important. You don't ask yourself why on so many levels, mm. what do you want at the end of the day, right? It's kind of like, for me, it took me 45 years to realize that. But actually, you know, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to be involved in a business. I want to do something with my career in my life where I'm actually helping other people. And so kind of like once you identify what your purpose is and once you identify what your values are, mm. then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the sky kind of parts and the clouds go away and there's this sunshine that comes down and you finally realize what's important in your life. Hmm. So when you know these values and when you know your purpose and you know why you're here and what you want to do, a lot of the decisions that life throws at us actually become fairly simple to make. It doesn't make them easy. It means that the decision of do I go right or do I go left becomes a lot simpler. Most of the people that I see who are incredibly successful, quote unquote, financially, are actually freaking miserable hmm. in reality, hmm. right? But we don't talk about that stuff hmm. because the cool thing is what we see on our social media feed. So Patrick, my last question to you. You moved from, from a place where you felt like your one arm or both arms are being cut to a place now where you are saying that the sun is, cloud is parting and sun is really coming down and looking at it and asking your value and purpose. You talked about your values. Yeah. What is your purpose? I mean, my purpose is, you know, you know to be the magnetic energy that inspires people to live the career that they want to live. Right. It's it's my purpose is to to inspire others to lead careers that are filled with meaning and purpose. Mm. That, that's my purpose. Mm. You know, and if I can spend the next 20 years helping people figure that out so they don't have to go through the kind of crap that I went through. 
then it will be worth it. Patrick, I would say that you are living embodiment of your purpose. You are inspiring the lives of people around you. I have been around you and you have inspired me. And I'm so happy for the work you are doing in the world. And more than that, you're just living your values, moving 8,000 miles just for your children, because that's one of your biggest values. And that's where you want to grow and give something much more than your father has given you, or much different than what your father has given you. Thank you so very much for this conversation. Viktor Frankl said, everything can be taken from a human, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Rising from the bottom of despair, Patrick chose his way and found his meaning. Why he's doing what he's doing. Can I ask, why are you doing what you are doing?